Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? We'll be the baby of the year. Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. We're back. I'm your host, Jake Brand. Uh, we are over Skype again, sadly, due to some uh, unfortunate quarantining policies and situations. So here I am in my recliner once again alongside my Roadcaster Pro. Joining me today, the regulars co-host Ben Neeson. How are you, Ben? Sleepy. You've had all day to sleep. Yeah, Green but it's just hitting me now. It's turbo time, man. Sleepy turbo time. Also with me today, Alex Powell, the other co-host. How are you, Alex? Uh, just like to say Wakanda forever, Jake. There's going to have to be at least one of those. Yeah. And we got it out of the way early. Also, one of the characters in this movie starred Jesus Christ Superstar. So, in tw- the 2018... Uh, production of it. So wait, was Alex, it, was what it, uh, are we viewing today? I haven't even. Uh, we're watching. We're watching Spike Lee's 2020 film *The Five Bloods*, starring uh, Chadwick Boseman, Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, and Norm Lewis. Well, he took the words right out of my mouth. It's almost <laughs> like we planned that. Cinematography by Newton Thomas. Newton Thomas Siegel. And music composed by Terrence Blanchard. Thank you, uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, so that that took away my <laughs> job. We watched. Uh, it's not a Netflix original, but yeah, it is. Is it a Netflix original? Okay. Mm-hmm. Define original. They just it was just production. Define student athlete. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, everyone else will get that. The movie's on Netflix. Um. That is where we all watched it. Directed by the great Spike Lee. Uh, also directed the two the NBA 2K16 storyline starring Frequency Vibrations. That's all I knew from him as great, so... <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Spike Lee film? Uh, the, 20, the 2K16 campaign. <laughs> the campaign that had the least most annoying friends in the 2K campaign. Is that the one where the kid died in the car crash at like the very yeah. end? <laughs> I didn't finish it. I didn't get to that part. <laughs> they make the video game campaign so sad, man. <laughs> you had to play. You had to play twelve seasons of two K <laughs> as a my player, <laughs> and then as a veteran, that's like a two minute cutscene. <laughs> so Ben, do you want to take us through uh, your classic synopsis of this film? Oh yeah, this is a this is gonna be a this is gonna be a long synopsis. Just kidding, it's the shortest one yet. Um, four African American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Storm and Norman. Spoiler free. Storm and Norman. Hey, this <laughs> this is not a spoiler free podcast, Ben. It's just spoiler. Well, yeah, podcast. I'm just saying that synopsis you. was. There's your spoiler. They all die at the hands of the Viet Cong. So they I go back in time. Before, what do you mean? Before uh, we talk about the movie, 
Uh, before we even talk about the movie, I just say we do a little like five second, uh, just kind of acknowledgement of Chadwick Boseman. Did we do this already on the pod? So we were gonna do it, and then we ended. There's like the week he died, we were gonna do it, and then we ended up like something came up, so we just took that week off, and we okay, never got so back. Yeah. Obviously, the it was very important tragedy part. of Chadwick Boseman passing away to terminal cancer back in, I believe it was October. Very sad and depressing. So we kind of chose this movie to do a tribute to him, even though it was. A week later, and yes, Ben, Wakanda forever. <laughs> you didn't have Chad to comment Boseman, that. <laughs> uh, Jackie Robinson and James Brown. Yeah, James Brown, and some, amongst other people. A uh, very good actor. Seems to be very genuine fellow, also, but really sad. A very good actor and an even better man. I think is the yeah. word you're looking for, Jake. Is what the is what the press would say. Yeah. The press yeah. We, we here at the Turbo Team Podcast are all certified journalists. So. Hey, I'm pretty <laughs> much a certified journalist. Can we be a honorary journalist, the simp, Jake? Yeah. Yeah, you could be honorary. Why not? Can we can we get yeah. our own spots on the website? Can we write our own bios? I could probably I could probably manage to. Uh, <laughs> Make a whole tab on the on the website for the Turbo Team podcast. Just hey, at the bottom, that, Alex and I have like a dual <laughs> bio. It's <laughs> dude, we don't even get our own pictures. That's like in a different font and size than all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we need to talk about this movie. So yeah, I guess I could start with one of the things I liked. Uh, we already talked about him, but I thought Chadwick Boseman's performance was really good. In this movie, and I don't think I'm just saying that just because like, oh, you have to say it because he's dead and it's the respectful thing to do. I really thought that it was good. And in the um, in the final scene with uh, Delroy Lindo's character, kind of like the I don't know, the heaven flashback uh, vision type scene. I thought that performance there just like. No visuals, nothing like that. It was just dialogue and facial expressions. I thought it was a very powerful scene. And obviously Spike Lee um, had no idea that the impact that that would have for the for the events upcoming in the month. So I thought performance by Chadwick Boseman and then also the performance by Delroy uh, Lindo just kind of as the crazy um, PTSD struck ridden um Vietnam War hero slash veteran I thought was it was a very powerful performance and it was also kind of it was very believable like we all kind of know that like one crazy uncle or um, crazy guy from our town that is a veteran and obviously has some solid morals and is a good person but is also crazy because of other circumstances and I thought that he played that role um, to a T I like how crazy is just Trump supporter. Well, I'm going to get to that in my negatives, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, this film, like, obviously I'm not a huge Spike Lee fan. We were joking about 2K. And then besides that, of his films, I've only seen A Black Klansman. So, his legendary he stature. You've seen, you seen Malcolm X. 
the one with Denzel Washington? No. Oh, well, he did that too. I don't know if you seen that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so his legendary stature is something that I don't know about you guys, but it's mostly just been things that I've heard about from his films in the 80s and 90s. So yeah, I'm not biggest Knicks fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Him versus uh <laughs> Jack Nicholson, the biggest Lakers fan. <laughs> yes. Jack Nicholson. Uh, friend of the program, Nike, biggest Knicks fan. <laughs> what was uh, Jack Nicholson banned from uh bringing food from front court after spilling <laughs> chili all over? <laughs> Joe like Kevin Yopis. <laughs> <from the> <laughs> <laughs> anyway, man, go ahead. Keep it up. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> no, but I don't know how much of this you can attribute to his style of filmmaking or dialogue, but I thought the direction was done pretty well. I enjoyed some specific takes they had done, uh, whether it be the shifting of video. What is it? Um, it's not sizing, it's like... Aspect ratio. Aspect ratio, yeah, thanks. That's like the shifting aspect ratios whenever they shift in between flashbacks and back to the present day. Or, especially, I love the scene where uh, Paul was walking alone through the jungle and he was monologuing directly to the camera. Like, I thought that was a like solid directing choice. But, honestly, like... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a negative already, but uh, the dialogue didn't necessarily hit for me. I don't know if it's necessarily because, I don't know, they were talking a specific way. Like, they were talking like black men in the 60s would, I guess, because that's what they're referring to when they're back in Vietnam. It seemed like, I don't know. No, I I kind of felt that where, like, I don't want to say it's cliched because I have had no authentic experience, but the it scenes seemed less genuine, like, I guess. The scenes where they were just kind of sitting and talking, I honestly zoned out quite a bit. Just because it, it wasn't very engaging. Not even necessarily the way that they were talking, but what they were talking about. To me, I didn't feel like the dialogue did any good in this movie, which... When we compare it to the last film we watched, Trial of the Chicago 7, it's yeah. total opposite, where it and felt there's... like you trimmed 20 minutes off of this movie just because I felt like a lot of the dialogue was talking about... So, this is a positive and a negative. I thought Spike Lee did a really good job of um, including the themes throughout like the cinematography, throughout the story, and throughout some of the shots. But then the negative to that was he like repeated the themes just through the dialogue that I felt like didn't need to be there. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I think the symbolism. It was very. It was very blatant. It wasn't as subtle. The, the symbolism of that I don't remember any of the names in this movie, but the symbolism of the guy wearing the MAGA hat, I think Paul. was pretty clear. Yeah, Paul, Paul was, was pretty clear as it was, and they didn't have to mention that and have a three minute conversation about that. Like, I yeah. thought it would have worked better. Or DeRoach putting it on in the final battle and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, we just so much. Uh, I feel like his directness. I mean, it was, it was even felt in Black Klansman. 
uh, especially with the end montage they did. And even in this film, they threw in another like live Trump clip just for like clarification about what the characters were talking about. Yeah. And I don't know. Again, this is me only seeing two of his films and they were his two latest, but it seems very direct. And depending on the material at hand, it could be either a fault or positive. Yeah. So Spike right. Lee has a very distinct style, which I think honestly is the sign of any good directors. If you can look at a movie and you can be like, oh, this is, you know, a Tarantino film. This is a Coen Brothers film. This is a Spike Lee film. So Spike Lee definitely has this type of filmmaking. And I think The Five Bloods is one of those instances where it doesn't necessarily work. Uh, compared to Black Klansman, where I think it worked really well. Uh, I, I like Those are the only movie. two Lee films you've seen? I've seen parts of Malcolm X, but yeah. That doesn't count, bro. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, this movie felt very choppy, and I didn't think a lot of the characters had great chemistry. It just kind of felt like, oh, here's some people, and they threw them together, and they made a movie. You know, I don't, I didn't feel like the script was especially strong. I didn't feel like the dialogue was really realistic. Felt like there, like you guys said, there were times where the movie kind of dragged. It didn't need to be two and a half hours long. Um, the whole movie just felt choppy. I thought the pacing was bad. I thought there's definitely times where I was just confused or whatever. There's there's still I mean, aspects of this movie I like, but if we're going if we're just going initial thoughts, wasn't necessarily my favorite. I mean, kind of going off of what you saw with like your negatives that you just mentioned, honestly, it kind of reminded me of like I don't know if it was the way some of the sets were lit or just the dialogue in some of them and how the set designs were set up, but it seemed almost lower budget in a way. Like it might yeah, have been like a direct to cable movie, some scenes specifically. Like excluding the know. excluding the fight scenes and like any scenes with more than I don't know six or so characters, it seemed so, like when it was one on one or very close with multiple with a few characters, it seemed kind of lower budget, honestly. So there is uh, the budget was thirty five to forty five million. So this is one of Spike Lee's more expensive films. What initial thing said. So, okay. I, I think thought, initial uh, thoughts on that. I think the reason for that is because they use so much. So they shot on. So there were scenes shot on film, and film is like really expensive to shoot on. Scorsese shoots on only film, like the Irishman was shot on film. But so film is really expensive to shoot on. So I think that's might be where a lot of the money in the budget went was switching between the. You know, the HD film and or the HD like modern digital recording and the the uh, film recording of it. Films, mm-hmm. film, film can get a bit pricey to shoot on, especially a big budget movie like this. Yeah, you can definitely tell that the shots in the city at the beginning and like on the river were all just like normal HD digital shots. But then when they go out into the nature, like in Vietnam, searching for. Uh, the gold that it was definitely in film or like an IMAX type thing. Cause it was so crisp and beautiful. I thought I love film. Film makes everything look better. The colors just look way better. On film. Yeah. <laughs> I, one of my huge positives is just how like Vietnam looked out in nature. I thought it was beautiful. And like, I can, 
it's a positive and a negative in a way because there were some points where they were just walking around talking and I didn't really care. And I was just kind of looking at like how beautiful the the trees were and how cool the hills looked and stuff like that. So I thought the like Alex talked about the film um, shooting of it definitely paid off. But for me, the actual story and script wasn't necessarily that engaging or interesting to me. I completely agree. Where this movie, where it lacked in like actual like, like a catching plot and storyline, it made up for in like, like the cinematography. Like the shots were all beautiful. The coloring was great. I, like there's a lot of really nice shots. I forgot the name of the cinematographer. He did a great job. So and Spike Lee definitely did a good job of, like you said, Jay, kind of taking in all the beauty of Vietnam and like the Vietnam wilderness, and it, it looked really well. But I think like we've already established, it just it wasn't the strong, like the actual meat of the story wasn't very strong. You know? So we've, we've said a lot of negatives. Do you guys have any positives besides the cinematography or shots? Yeah, I will say that even though I didn't love the story or love the script or dialogue, I thought it did hit a lot of the themes very well of a Vietnam movie. And like setting up the historical, like much like the trial of the Chicago seven did, uh, it set up historical context with, uh, various unnarrated like historical clips from different figures of the time yeah yeah i thought all of that was very well with, um all the martin luther king jr stuff i thought the actual um shots of back <laughs> at vietnam in the 60s was done really well and it was probably only like six or seven total minutes of the entire film but i thought that almost entirely captured what Vietnam was like just in that sense. And then I thought the, it seemed like random, but when I look back on it, there were definitely a lot of themes of like generosity and selfishness and just like the differences between it of, um, of gold and like what they were there for, because you could kind of tell that it was split down the middle where two of them wanted to be there for Norman and they wanted to be there to to honor him but then there were the two that were just there to get their paycheck and go back and obviously they had some more emotional investment than just that but I thought that theme hit um hit very well just because I don't know it's something that I can pretty much relate to in my life where you determine like what matters more paycheck or relationships with friends and people so I thought that that aspect of it hit really well. So even if, even if the story um, didn't completely resonate with me, I thought that um, the themes that Spike Lee hit with, with generosity and even like going back to, I guess, past wars, past storms and um, how it really never leaves, but you learn how to deal with it. I thought was done really well because you could tell that um, I guess it's such an unrealistic aspect in such an exaggerated aspect where they go back to Vietnam and get in another war. Like that would just never happen now. Mm-hmm. And Spike Lee exaggerated it. And I think it did hit on the theme or the message. Like um, even though these veterans aren't there anymore, the war really never leaves them. And I thought that that hit pretty close um, for me. I thought that was well done by Spike Lee. Vietnam definitely took a huge hit on everybody involved with it. Like the the native Viet Cong people are still or native native Viet 
Vietnamese, that's what the word is. Native Vietnamese are still feeling repercussions from it, whether, you know, a lot of people have lost, you know, relatives or like you saw in the movie, there's still landmines scattered all over the countryside in Vietnam. It's still a, like a huge problem. Uh, Agent Orange destroyed a lot of parts of Vietnam were completely like, like the chemicals destroyed them and people like people in nearby villages still feel impacts of that. And, you know, obviously with it from Americans, like, so many people with PTSD, so many people just can't get over. Obviously, the Vietnam War was hugely protested. It was a very dark time in America's history for politicians because, you know, everyone supported the war. And it probably wasn't a war we shouldn't have been in in the first place. So it's, like I agree with you, Jake. Spike Lee definitely in a historical context really hit it on the nail with exactly what the repercussions were on both sides and how it's still impacting us today, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that was seen with the... Uh organization that Hetty was a part of which was uh finding and love against mines and bombs yeah that thank you alex <laughs> yeah i watched the movie that was pretty much it <laughs> that's pretty much it for my positives i touched yeah on the themes the character or i guess the performances and the style that's that was about it for me. I'm sure something else will come to mind or come up. But like those were the, like the three main things that I, I wrote. I did down. like I did like the Spike Lee kind of but I think in Spike Lee films I kinda the two I have seen he does this a lot, but they jump in between like real life clips and uh like the actual story. Like when the scene where they come out of the forest to meet like their tour guide and then the Viet Cong soldiers like or had their guns held to them, like asking for their gold. And the the head guy's like explaining what the GIs did. And he's like, You killed our, you know, or what women and children. It's cutting in between like that the yeah. pictures and videos of like the dead people. And in the beginning where it's showing like clips from Vietnam and that clip that clip of the the uh Viet Cong officer shooting that citizen in the head and he just collapses on the floor. Do you remember that? Yeah. Because that was uh, real. <laughs> shout out, shout out Kevin Huss. He showed us that in ninth grade history class. No, he did. By, yeah. Yes, he did. He showed us that video. I because because I remember he showed, watching. <laughs> he showed us he, like, he, like, someone getting shot in the head. Yeah, he showed us that video because I remember he, like we were watching this video about the Vietnam War and he just stops. He pauses and he stops us for like five minutes. He's like, so I want you guys to know that this next scene is going to be very graphic. So if you don't want to look at it, I said just look away or step out right now. And then he shows oh, okay. us this guy getting shot in the head. And I was watching it. I've seen it before. I was, I was watching it the second time watching this movie, and I was like. It didn't hit me that it was real until like after the movie went away, because like it doesn't look real, like the way the blood is spouting out of his head. Like you're like, no way, that's real. That's shit you see in movies, you know. But like, no, that, that that really happened. <laughs> no, it's it's because all you know is what you've seen in movies. That's what I'm saying. It didn't hit me that this is real, and like the atrocities of war in the Vietnam were real. So, shout out Spike Lee for that. I always like uh, I'm a big history guy. I like learning about it. And <laughs> it's important we understand history and not to uh to move on from it and become better as a society but uh alex I, powell I like and bars open up again yeah i'm a big history guy <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> i don't know you just said it yeah <laughs> that was the joker meme right there <laughs> what? ben did you have any other positives uh yeah, I mean, we already mentioned the uh, historical context at the beginning. 
Um, I really liked how for the flashback scenes, they still kept the old actors. Like they didn't try to recast younger versions of themselves. I feel like it helped it keep consistency with characters that were already familiar with each other and weren't even being blatant about referring to each other by their names because they were already friends. So uh, I think that helped us like keep up with who's who and also remind us of in a way that this like hasn't really left them like they're still the same people that were there uh in vietnam as they are when they're back like it really put that more in a perspective of things haven't really changed for them since it's the same actors and it's like not being played by younger versions of themselves what do you think about them not what do you think about uh them choosing not to like de-age them at all? Like dye their hair or, you know, get rid of, like put makeup on some of their wrinkles or whatever. That's the same thing. Well, like in the like in the Irishman, they de-aged them but using CGI. I think this is this is way different. Because these aren't the Irishman, that's just uh a re that's not even a recounting, is it? It's a well, it's based on a book which is based off history. That's, yeah, but the main character, uh, Irish man, he wasn't like recounting the like events of his life in like a retirement yeah, home or something. He was? Uh, well, so it's what it, so the book is him recounting his life, telling the story about how he killed Jimmy Hoffa. Ignore the book. I'm talking about the movie. <laughs> the movie is based off the book. Yeah, I know, but in the movie, he's never like talking the- to someone else. It's not like, Goodfellas, he when he's like recounting everything. There's definitely a narration about. There is, but okay, whatever. I'm getting on. Because the, the point is, it worked for this great. rather than the Irishman, which was it wasn't like those were old characters reminiscing and remembering back to how things were. It was more of a straight telling of the events of that film. Yeah, and while well, this I, was more of like striking up these memories as soon as they're happening like as they went deeper into the jungle like throughout and then paul's memory uh, so everyone outside of norman and paul uh of the four people that went i don't think got enough screen time as it is to even otis did yeah i guess otis got quite a bit of screen time i just i feel like (laughs) they didn't get enough screen time where like you could do a flashback with different people and yeah. then when they come back into real time have an exact idea of who everyone is and who everyone was. I I'm not saying Marvin and Eddie nice. need their own flashbacks. Yeah. No, I, I mean, because honestly, that flashback was for all of them. Yeah. At I, the very I, end, they had like a, a Photoshop picture of them looking younger. And uh, who was it? It was um, Photoshop, was it? Yeah, it was. Because there was all the same guy. All, like, actually kind of genuine uh melvin his face was like super photoshopped it looked terrible <laughs> all right Mr. okay i'll leave it to the expert here also uh also it has the two villains from black Klansmen in it as like weird hero guys <laughs> <laughs> all right let's they uh, signed a two movie deal they're like okay We'll put you in, and you guys can be heroes in it. But first, you need to be racists for my other film. <laughs> and then right. one of you, then you both die in both films. Oh wait, no, he doesn't. He dies uh, in the. Richard Jewell doesn't in this film. 
Wait, that's the guy that plays Richard Jewell? Yeah. He's also been in Community, too. The other guy. (laughs) That guy was like a background actor in like a few episodes of Community. (laughs) Which one? The chubbier guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking Uh, of background actors, this is off topic, but I was watching Sopranos the other day, and there's one episode of Sopranos where Paul Dano has like a... I watched an interview with him, and he was like, yeah, that was like my first role, and it was on the greatest television show of all time. (laughs) It was in like, I think that season was, I think it was like 2002, it was season three, it was season four, which took place like 2002, 2003, and so he was probably like fucking 18 in it, and he had like the weird like long Justin Bieber hair that like covered like all the way half down like half of his eyes. You looked like me this January and February before my hair grew out. <laughs> Basically, yeah. All right, anyway, Jake, go ahead. What were you saying? I was just going to get into my negatives, and it was like the three people, a part of Lamb. I don't know. They were just like They're... bland and not, <laughs> I, I don't know. They, it just didn't add anything to me. And it's the umbrella negative of this movie was too long and there were too many pointless subplots like you could have trimmed off those three people didn't really have to exist like yeah you might have to shift a couple things in the story a little bit uh to make it flow a little smoother but for the most part they didn't really add anything to the general plot story or themes of the entire movie so i felt like you could have just cut all three of them out i don't i didn't understand the love interest um between david and i believe her name was heidi like it eddie it it was i mean i guess it was okay but it was very forced and just like a e or f plot to like the a plot of the movie so i just thought there were a lot of things like that that were just like that that didn't really need to happen like, cause even with like Otis, I thought like Otis finding out that he had a daughter, I thought that worked because that like related to the war and to his life like 40 years ago. But one of the guy who was in Vietnam, his son having a love interest in Vietnam to a French girl, it, it just seemed really like forced and random to me. I feel like yeah. it was this, them trying to get exposition out because they didn't even really act on there being romantic interest. It was just like her trying to like be mean to him when uh, they had her captive. Well, there's definitely a little like spy. Well, there's yeah, but like I'm saying like it, it I mean, felt like maybe a lot there was a little bit, but still. It felt like we a lot like we said, but where they just signed those two guys on for like two movies, and Spike Lee was like. All right, we'll just throw you in here, and then we'll add a love interest. It's super forced, and they have absolutely zero chemistry whatsoever. And then that's where their whole character is. Also, kind of disagree with you, Jake. Otis's love character, I felt like we didn't need that either. Like, it, that, like his like wife or girlfriend or whatever, and his daughter were probably on screen for like five combined minutes the whole movie. Like, it literally was like. <laughs> I agree that we oh, didn't. Man, she seems so I, much younger than him too. <laughs> yeah, I like in the I beginning. Was it was like funny. in the beginning, they're like, "Well, wow, we're here, Vietnam, we're back." And then Otis like, "I gotta go." And then he goes, "He's like, <laughs> hey, remember me?" And she's like, "Yeah, why don't you go for dinner?" And he's like, "All right." And they're eating dinner. And then this other girl walks in. It's clearly a mix between Vietnamese and African American. And then Otis is just like, "Wow, is that my daughter?" And she's staring at him. And she's like, "Yeah." He's like. Wow. And then it cuts to a different scene. And then at the very end, he's like, 
just came to say goodbye to my daughter. Goodbye, and daughter. She was like, I love you. I love dude, you. I know we That smile at the end from her and him was so creepy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I love you. And then that was like two minutes and then the movie was over. Yeah. Like, right. She seemed plot, like she seemed like movie. one of those uh she seemed like one of those uh captive people in get out the way she was smiling. <laughs> also also the wife, like the daughter and then like his ex lover or whatever, they were both not good actors. Like they like their lines sounded terrible, you know. So Yeah, you tell them. Alex. Anyway, yes. do you guys have I love negative subplots that didn't need to be there. Uh, do you guys have any more? Uh, my negative was uh, all four of them dancing to blurred lines for like forty seconds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did not Way need too long that. of a shot. <laughs> <laughs> too much blurred lines in this film. Okay, I <laughs> I have an actual negative. So I thought that there was a clear theme against like. Donald Trump and MAGA wearing people in this film. Oh no, really? With the roach wearing the hat at the end? And I thought that it was a negative that they even had to have it because I felt like you could have conveyed all those themes without even mentioning that Donald Trump exists or without wearing a Make America Great Again hat. I thought that the themes that were in this were someone that was just so full of hate and ignorance that that it's not a political issue like every human being knows that type of person that is just ignorant and stupid like paul was and i thought that making it political was i don't know it seemed forced and it didn't really it didn't really fit for me i don't think so i know what you mean it was like it was being a lot more blunt with the message that they were trying to say, like like you were saying, uh, showing how Paul was uh, very guarded and discriminatory against other people, mm-hmm. and they didn't need to make him like a Trump supporter for that to happen. And like, then I, I thought that this both was... of the villains wear the Trump hat at different moments to be like, haha, this is your America or something like that. Like, I think I that's... thought that it went from a human being issue like oh we all know that person that is just really dumb and everyone can relate to and then into just a right versus left issue and i don't i think that worked in black Klansmen, but i don't think that worked in this like oh, that it definitely worked in black Klansmen. it definitely worked in black Klansmen, but not to be all alex jonesy but i think this is a lot it's just kind of spike lee's political agenda he's a very very anti-donald trump guy he's been very public about it so i think that was just kind of him doing it just because he could, because it's his movie. So. Yeah, I'm sure right. all of his films are like that. Spike Lee's turning Hollywood liberal. I also <laughs> love... Uh, Doesn't need any help. Uh, Isaiah Whitlock, the guy that played Melvin. I also got one of his, like, she. Oh, yeah. Was he the original guy who did that? Yeah, he did it. He's from the... He's, he's on The Wire. He did it in The Wire. He did it oh, in Black Clansman, too. I've heard that before, but like, <laughs> was that bi- <laughs> was that delivery like originated from the wire? Then I think so. Yeah, because there's like I've seen like a YouTube compilation of him just being like, "She." Yeah, because I caught that too. <laughs> you know, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., the star of the 2011 film Cedar Rapids, starring Ed Helms. That Shut sounds up. awful. And the guy it has an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes actually. So. Yeah, I don't want to watch a film about Cedar Rapids starring Ed Helms. <laughs> <laughs> My two favorite things on earth, Ed Helms and Cedar Rapids, Cedar Iowa. Rapids Iowa. 
Alex, did you have any negatives? Nah, I, I got them all. I didn't think CGI, the CGI was very good as far as, like, the fighting and, like, blood and stuff. When, when also, like, helicopter. Dang, yeah, when they're in the helicopter. Yeah, I was just going to add, I thought the violence and the fight scenes were very, very choppy and not well put yeah. together. Yeah, I disagree. I, I, think, I, thought, I thought the violence was done kind of well, actually. Because, I mean, obviously, those are all split-second events. Like, me speaking to my various experiences being in uh, gunfights. Darkest dust. Uh, darkest dust. Uh, it all <laughs> it all happens very quick. Like, there weren't necessarily huge battles or anything. It was more like a handful of people versus a handful of people, and it was over quick. And I thought it fit, personally. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah, I just thought the whole movie was choppy. I just didn't. I didn't think it was paced very well. Like we said, I don't think it needed to be, you know, two and a half hours. Uh, do you guys have a favorite scene? Yeah. Uh, my favorite scene was uh Paul's monologue after mm-hmm. he broke away from the rest of the Bloods and was uh reaffirming himself and knowing where he stood. I mean, on- honestly, this was before his revelation where he became more uh, clear-minded, but I thought that was like very well done. The way he like trampled through the jungle and um he worded himself he worded and worked himself up very eloquently and I thought that was done well. My favorite scene I already mentioned it was kind of the redemption between Paul and Norman. I thought it was I thought it was well done, and I thought that it had like um, some spiritual and Christianity themes in it. Just where like um, Paul obviously felt like he wasn't worthy and felt super ashamed, and Norm in this scene was kind of playing like the role of Jesus or like the the savior, and just like saying, "Oh man, I forgive you." And I thought that it was a super powerful theme, and I don't even know if Spike Lee was trying to do that, but that's kind of how. I interpreted it and I thought that it almost reminded me of like <laughs> Black Panther in a way. Just like the way they did it, Wakanda but like insane, insanely better. I uh yeah, that was a good scene. Mine was uh when they dug up uh Norman's like skeleton. I thought that was a really powerful scene. And then obviously there's foreshadowing towards the end where we find out Norman's the or uh, uh Paul's the one that killed Norman. And so it kind of makes that scene a little more powerful in the moment, too, because, you know, they found him. Now they can bring him home to uh, his two sisters. who you know, He's been in Vietnam all these years. So I thought that was a really powerful scene. Um, do you guys want to get into ratings, or do you have anything else to say? Just, all right, I guess I'll get, go. I guess Norm got distracted by a defensive end bullying a referee. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that's bullying. Uh, that's straight right. up assault. <laughs> Funny. Just <laughs> All right, Ben. Since you're the one that wasn't paying attention, you want to give your rating first? Yeah, no problem. Uh, since we've been watching a lot of excellent stuff lately, but honestly, with the two and a half hour runtime and the choppy structure and the uneven quality or at least perceived quality of the dialogue slash set designs um even though it was an overall solid message with pretty good acting i thought that this is a six out of ten film you said six yep 
I will second everything Ben just said. Um, yeah, the the choppiness of it, the the long run time, and kind of there's a lot of forgettable stuff in the movie. Um, gives it a lower rating for me, and especially compared to what we've watched recently. But for me, I think the themes resonated a little more, and the cinematography was really was really well done. So I'll give it a six point eight. Oh no! Bump it up point one, point one, point one. No, 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 don't. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, I'll, I'll second you guys. I think I I still enjoyed the movie. I didn't hate it. There's just I, this movie was even two hours. I think I would have liked it a little more. You know. <laughs> but it was just too long. I, I just choppy, so I'll give it a seven. I'll, I'll go a little higher than both of you guys. But all right, all right. Mostly because cool. I I really did love the cinematography on it. So. All right, come um, on. This guy, guess what this got on Rotten Tomatoes? Ninety three. I saw that. Oh, ninety. That is surprising. Yeah. I know. I was surprised. I think I think Rotten Tomatoes kind of loves Spike Lee though. I could be wrong, but it, it'll probably get a Best Picture nominee. Do you guys think? I don't think yeah. it deserves it, but it'll probably get it. Which Vietnam? Reference film will get the best picture nod. It better be Chicago Seven. I feel like I Academy, a foreign way the Academy film. does that where they only get one, they get like one of each type films. Yeah. And historically, I'm pretty sure they're not even that big of a fan of Spike Lee too. Like Black Klansman was like the first time in a while where he was like thoroughly represented. It should have won that year. Was that the Green Book I, year? That was Green Book, yeah. <laughs> Which I haven't seen, but there's no way it's better than Black Lives. Oh, I saw I saw Green Book. It wasn't. Yeah, I was gonna say. Sorry to bother uh, you. Who won it that year? Oh, never mind. Um, so I, I know we know. have I know we have what we watched in November, but I thought of a kind of a small segment we could do in between, kind of on the topic of movies. What do you guys think about Warner Brothers deciding to put all of their 2021 films on HBO Max? Uh, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it's ballsy of them, uh, taking a lot of move- money out of the movie theater's pockets. But honestly, if we don't have a vaccine or if things aren't a whole lot better by then, I think it's a smart decision to make. If we're if we're still, in, I I don't know. I, there there are Pfizer's vaccines already out there, and they're it's uh, frontline workers are testing it out or not testing it out, but using, getting it right now. So. We're still in this pandemic by the end of 2021. I'll cut off my pinky, man. So I think it's pretty confident. We'll be <laughs> at least fairly back to normal by then. Also, but, I just uh, looked up the 2019 uh, Best Picture nominations, the year that Green Book run won. Uh, Black Klansman was also up that year, and so yeah. was Vice, and so was The Favorite. It was a and very those, weak year. Those last three are better than Green Book. <laughs> Very, I didn't think it was a very strong year compared to 2020, which was a really strong year, I thought. It's hard to compare to 2020. Dog. So, Alex, yes, that question. I think that we were already trending towards this, and the pandemic just sped it up. Like, I think very, very slowly movie theaters were becoming less and less necessary and almost kind of extinct in a way. And global pandemic that didn't allow anyone to leave their house for seven months, I think, made it even more or it sped up the process even more. So I don't I guess I don't love the situation situation. I love like going to the movies. But for me, that wasn't very surprising. And I still don't think this is going to stop like movie theaters from existing. I think it'll just kind of be like a hybrid option. 
I mean, it, I don't think it will at all either, too, because like movie theaters still are still going to be relevant. It's just that like the Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday option of instead of going to see a movie like after work or like during yeah. a school day or something like that, it's more like staying in for Netflix. But then when big films are released or you want to spend your weekend out doing something, I still think that movie theaters will be relevant. Yeah. yeah if there's like a if there's like a new Star Wars, I'd rather go and watch it in a movie theater, you know, with some buddies rather than you know sitting on my couch and watching it. There's just a there's an experience about going to the movies that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, imagine if you never saw. Imagine if Paul Blart Mall Cop Two came out on HBO Max. <laughs> I Boy, would I'd just be watching it watch constantly. It. I wouldn't have gone on my first day ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I think it, I think it's kind of cool though. I mean, definitely. There's a lot. There's a lot more availability to it. You go to like say say you want to go watch Tenet. Wait, Tenet already came out, didn't it? I saw Tenet in theaters. Uh, I'm thinking of Dune. So say you want to go watch Dune. Like so, you go to the theater. It's gonna be like what ten ten bucks a ticket. You want a you know a nice year drink or snacks or whatever. So you're gonna spend like what twenty five bucks just to go see this movie with to get something to eat. Yeah, popcorn or whatever. You're gonna spend like twenty twenty five bucks. So you definitely are saving a lot more money, but also you're losing out of that experience of going to the theaters, which I enjoy personally. I don't know about you guys, but not in my annual Paramount Theater, seven bucks, baby. Annual, dude, annual Paramount Theater is uh, hey, that's six. It's a, a different place for your Simpson College student. What did you say? Six dollars for this Simpson College student right here. <laughs> you get I'm two dollars off. Right <laughs> yeah. What's it like spending $8 at Paramount's seven theaters in Indiola? I guess we'll never know. I saved so much money at the theaters by not going up to the drink counter and just walking into the movie. <laughs> Dude, did you just get that on? <laughs> I haven't done that. I've bought tickets for movies and then gone and seen different ones. Wow, you savage. I'm pretty sure, like, I don't even know what movie it was. I like... I like bought a ticket to I don't know go see like Thor two or something, but then like two minutes into it, a Kyle texted and said he was at Godzilla, so I walked over and saw that with him instead. I understood that right. Those were both terrible movies. <laughs> Godzilla is good, dude. Back off. No way. Okay, let's uh, picture this. November. Hold on, picture this. It's eighth grade. Your mom just dropped you off at the Fridley Theater. This is stupid. I'm not. I'm not listening to this tweet. You pay your eight dollars for a ticket. You walk in. Your buddies are in the front row. It's SpongeBob the live action movie. Life is good. <laughs> Get it? Set, set the set the bubbles. Out. Set the one with bubbles in it. We did that. Y'all insane. I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we do it right after school. I didn't say after school. I said it's like seven o'clock at night. On a Tuesday. <laughs> what, what were we doing? <laughs> I don't know. I did that with the Maze Runner too. Oh, it was Alright, we need to I like the, we watched in I November. Like, I like to forget middle school. Alright, I had the most. I I guarantee it, so I'll let you guys go first. Alright, I watched <laughs> um <laughs> I only watched Man, one movie. Sweet. I only watched one movie that wasn't for the podcast, so I watched Fargo, Trial of the Chicago 7. And then the other night I watched Citizen Kane uh, for the first time in preparation for David Fincher's Mank coming out next week. Or no, that's this week. 
And then I also have continued watching Fargo, the TV show. I'm on like episode nine, I think, of season one. And then I've continued watching Mandalorian. With oh, yeah. Sorry. How's please. Mandalorian? I'll probably just watch it after all the episodes are out. It's okay. It's pretty good. You could skip an episode or two for sure. I so I really liked episode one. I didn't like episodes two and three, but four and five have been really good. It it's it's my same gripe with season one, where like there were four really good episodes, and then there were four episodes that added nothing to the yeah. story, and you could have just skipped them. And I don't. It's, it's the same thing with season two, where like the I guess the episodes that follow like the plot of the series and I guess the actual arc of Mando are really good but the ones where it's just it's just Mando going to an island and being like hey I can help you but what's in it for me and then they give him what's in it for me and then then he almost dies and then someone helps him out Yeah. (laughs) yeah like those are the episodes that are just super forgettable for me but then there's really good ones like the last episode of season one um, against whatever that guy's name is. But Moff. yeah. Yeah, Moff. Moff, yeah. I, I think it's overrated as a show. I didn't really care Bro, for it. Haven't you, it. Have you even watched it all? Yeah, I watched or, season or one. Or the first yeah, season? I watched, I watched all of season one. I watched all of it. And I think, I forgot what show I was talking to you about, Ben, but you said it's very clearly, visually, it's very clear, clearly a TV show. And I thought that exact same thing about The Mandalorian, where... Like, they catch you, like, it looks like on the surface, it kind of looks like it's this huge, big budget movie quality, like, you know, Force Awakens or something like that. Then you get it, and there's, like, you clearly see there's a bad green screens at times, special effects aren't great, acting isn't necessarily the strongest, story's kind of the For the audience, I was talking about ABC's The Millers. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, there's just, I don't know, it's an okay show. I mean, I'll watch it just because I like Star Wars, and it's... It's definitely covering a time where, like, the movies don't really cover. Like, you don't really talk hear about hear about that time a whole lot. So, I'll, I'm definitely gonna watch season two. I'm just gonna wait for it all to come out, so I don't have to sit in anticipation because I don't care, you know. So. Uh, ben, what did you watch in November? Um, in November, uh, I don't know about likes. Uh, in November, I rewatched. <laughs> I rewatched Alex's favorite film, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, I also watched B-Movie. It wasn't my choice, but I sat through it and was reminded how bad it is. <laughs> and how much <laughs> how much they just, like, rag on Ray Liotta the entire time. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's guy from uh, Pilgrim You can't talk about him like that. Yeah, I can. Uh, <laughs> I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, it's a fun watch. Even though there's not a whole lot that happens. <laughs> uh, What's your name again? Viewings. I'm the devil. <laughs> no, it isn't that. Something stupid. Something dumb. It was stupid. Something... That. It was stupid. Right? <laughs> uh, I watched The World's End. It's one of uh, the three of the Cornetto trilogy by Edgar Wright. It's a great film if you haven't seen it. Uh, I watched Goodfellas. Uh, get the papers, get the papers. Yeah, throw back to uh, what episode one of the Turbo Team podcast. Yeah, only the real ones know episode one. <laughs> yeah, hey, obvious, obviously not me. You're a funny guy. What? I'm funny like a like a clown. 
What's funny what about? He says. <laughs> What's funny about me? No, you tell me. And then he shoots him. No, like snake. You said it. Or spider, I, whatever. You said it. I'm funny, like funny, faha, like I amuse you. All right, what'd you think of Goodfellas, Ben? <laughs> I was just picturing Macaulay Culkin across the table from him during that entire <laughs> scene. <laughs> Goodfellas play, plays Ray Liotta with what, like, eight-year-old <laughs> I need that cut. It's <laughs> like, come on, go on this double date with me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to fourth base with this Jewish girl that I'm trying to date. <laughs> come with me, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> That'd be so funny. <laughs> okay. Uh and yeah, and I've been watching Twin Peaks lately. Uh I said that I watched Twin Peaks or I have been, or that I've watched most of it before. But that was only the first season. And the first season is eight episodes and the second season is twenty two. So I'm working my way through the second season and it's a lot zanier than the first. And I love it. Uh, and also Mandalorian. U.S. House candidate Ilan Omar, I hope I said it right, from Minnesota, just tweeted out, I think, no, I think you should leave uh clip. It's the, we gotta find, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Cause we gotta do Mo- scumbags. Exxon will tweet out something lowering carbon footprint, and she's like, we gotta find out the guy who did this. Anyway, that was funny. Uh, so is that all you watched, man? Yep. Not a whole lot. All right, so uh, mine's weird. I went through this phase early November when I was in between having the flu and then having also uh, COVID-19. I started watching a ton of really bad comedies on Netflix. So, And then I also started falling asleep to them. So bear with me with this. So what I watched in November, watched Pineapple Express. Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I finished. Why? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> hey man i was bored i, I finished how i met your mother so i started this i started the sopranos which was uh it's really good i'm i love it so far amazing uh, dinner dano. for Sh- yeah paul dano uh dinner for schmucks valentine's day which i didn't even watch i kind of fell asleep too but it has one of the biggest like a-list like cast i've ever seen there's like everybody in it it's a rom-com i think i've seen uh, the poster for that it was okay with the parts I did watch. Easy A starring Jason Segal and Cameron Diaz and Justin Timberlake, Jake Play Mears. Uh, Fargo for the podcast, Trial of the Chicago 7 for the podcast, The Heartbreak Kid starring uh, Ben Stiller. It's pretty bad. Uh, the Dirt, which I didn't get the hype about at all. It was okay. I mean, I'm not a lady. That's it's for people for- that still listen to Molly Crew. Yeah. It's for people that love rock music and girls that are obsessed with Machine Gun Kelly. Those are the only demographics that, you know, Kyle. watch that movie and enjoy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, Machine no. Gun Kelly isn't that bad. Wait, what? He texted me and said the new album wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, okay, Kyle Kutz is now banned from the Turbo Team podcast. I hope she Check sees this, bro. Uh, then I watched The Other Guys, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and Bad Teacher. That was my what I watched in November. Please don't cancel me. I wouldn't. I'm watching The Sopranos, so I hope that levels out all the terrible comedies I watched. <laughs> I I, pro- <laughs> I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Actually, like kind of has this weird seriousness about it, where 
like Adam Sandler's character go, like figures out that like hey like saying like the gay slur the f gay slur isn't cool and like they're just people like you and me it's a weird plot that's like kind of serious and you're just like what it's a what whole plot this? line or they just throw it in at the end and that's it so the whole plot is kevin james's wife dies well like not in the movie like she's dead already when the movie starts and then uh he just tries like, to like get just his, like, like in Poblar mall cop too <laughs> yeah oh no that's his he, mom never mind no, his, his wife divorces him after like two weeks in that movie <laughs> I was thinking of his mom getting hit by the car. But, uh, yeah, so, like, it's something weird with his pension where he, like, if he dies, then, like, they're firefighters. But if he dies, he can't, his pension doesn't go to his kids because they're not adults. Like, the oldest one's, like, 13 or something. So him and Adam Sandler get, like, actually literally get married and fake being a gay couple. So, like, he can get, so, like, his kids can have his pension if, like, he dies. Yeah. Wait, no, wait. And then you ended it. (laughs) So that's, the whole thing is just the pension department of the the New York City Fire Department figuring out if they're gay or not. So that's not now production. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode (laughs) of the Tuesday Podcast. Uh, We don't need any more Chuck and Larry explanation. (laughs) should review it next week. That'd be hilarious. We've already hit the hour mark. I'm sorry, but we have to cap it off here. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, no cap. No, no, Chuck Larry on the podcast. Uh, for Jake Brand on a on North Buxton Street in Indianola, Iowa, God's place. Uh, Did you just dox yourself? This is the Turbo <laughs> Team podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.